2: Thanks for tuning in and
3: welcome to IMRU Radio, the nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out
4: front and out loud since 1974, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. I'm Chris Wilson. And I'm
2: Abby Dees. Tonight, an out trans woman and truck driver shares her long, complex, and riveting life journey of self realization and acceptance with Steve Pride. I
3: take to the red carpet at last week's HRC Gala. And I will talk live in studio without singer-songwriter Abby Posner, who will give us also a live performance. But first, the national and international news from this way out.
4: I'm Chris Ann Eastwood.
3: And
5: I'm Christopher Gall.
4: With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending March 21st, 2015. Officials of the Presbyterian Church USA decided this week, by a more than two-to-one margin, to allow their ministers to celebrate the marriages of same-gender couples. After decades of debate, the governing body of the church, which is based in Kentucky, recommended the move last year, but approval was required by a majority of the church's 171 regional bodies to ratify the change. With 1.8 million members in more than 1,000 congregations, the Presbyterian Church USA becomes the largest Protestant denomination in the country to bless marriage equality. Church doctrine previously defined marriage as exclusively heterosexual, but new middle-of-the-road language now describes the institution as a union of two people, traditionally a man and a woman. Conservative Presbyterian ministers will not be required to officiate the marriages of gay and lesbian couples under the new policy. The change is scheduled to take effect on June 21st after church leaders officially accept the results. Other faiths that celebrate the marriages of same-gender couples in the U.S. include the Episcopal Church, the United Church of Christ, the Unitarian Universalist Church, the Quakers, and the conservative and reform movements of American Judaism.
5: Out lesbian Rabbi Denise Eger was this week elected to lead U.S. Reform Judaism's Central Conference of American Rabbis, which is the largest rabbinical organization in the world. Fresh out of New York's Hebrew Union College in 1988, Ager found work as a full-time rabbi at Temple Beth Chaim Chadashim in Los Angeles, which was the first LGBTI-affirming synagogue to be recognized by Reform Judaism. She officially came out in a Los Angeles Times profile in 1990 and in 1992 became the founding rabbi of West Hollywood's Congregation Kol Ami, a synagogue that welcomes LGBT and supportive heterosexual worshipers. She's the mother of a 21-year-old son and is engaged to be married. Ager called her journey an amazing arc of history. In Reformed Judaism, she said, Loving your neighbor as yourself remains an overriding moral value and reminds us that we engage with another from a place of love and kindness, which are antidotes to the hate and exclusiveness of this world. Reformed Jews, with 2,000 rabbis and 862 American congregations, comprise the largest branch of American Judaism. Although it's the first time an out lesbian has been appointed president within Reform Judaism, openly lesbian Rabbi Toba Spitzer was in 2007 elected national president of the smaller Reconstructionist Rabbinical Association.
4: But Indonesia's Ulema Council, the top Muslim clerical group in the country, has issued a fatwa calling for anyone who has same-gender sex to be executed. Homosexual acts are already punished with caning in some parts of the country, or with up to six months in jail in others. The head of the council's Fatwa Commission told the Jakarta Globe that it is a vile act that is punishable by the death penalty. It doesn't matter that they love each other, he added. In Islamic law, it's a sexual act that must be heavily punished. An Indonesian LGBT activist, identified only as Hartoyo, told Pink News that the Fatwa promotes hatred and motivates people to carry out violence against others, If the council dislikes homosexuals, it should express its disapproval through other means, in educated and peaceful ways. Haris Azhar, the coordinator of Indonesia's Commission for Missing Persons and Victims of Violence, said that, as a Muslim, I stand against the fatwa because I have the right to express myself and my preferences as long as it doesn't infringe on
5: the rights of others. Elsewhere, the government of socially conservative and predominantly Roman Catholic Puerto Rico announced on March 20th that it is dropping its support of the Commonwealth's civil marriage ban. Justice Secretary Cesar Miranda told a news conference in San Juan that his department would no longer defend the ban in a lawsuit, challenging its constitutionality. The case resulted in one of the few federal district court rulings to uphold such a ban and is currently at the first U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Governor Alejandro Garcia Padilla said in a statement posted to his office's website that everyone knows my religious beliefs, But it is not for political leaders to impose our beliefs. We must push for progress in civil and human rights for all citizens equally. As Governor of Puerto Rico, that's my duty." His government is also asking the First Circuit to postpone oral arguments in the Puerto Rico case until the U.S. Supreme Court resolves the state marriage ban cases pending before it. Lambda Legal, which has represented the plaintiff same-gender couples fighting the ban in the U.S. territory, celebrated the policy reversal in a statement noting that, Puerto Rico's government finally recognizes that denying marriage to LGBT people is harmful and cannot be justified. Pop singer Ricky Martin, a native of Puerto Rico who's advocated for LGBT rights since coming out in 2010, tweeted that, Today is a great day for my island. In other news this
4: week, and for the second consecutive year, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and the entire city council boycotted the largest St. Patrick's Day parade in the United States. De Blasio became the first mayor in 20 years to skip the popular event last year over the decades-old refusal of the sponsoring Ancient Order of Hibernians, a Roman Catholic Church-affiliated group, to allow self-identified LGBT groups to participate. New York Roman Catholic Cardinal Timothy Dolan, an outspoken opponent of marriage equality, was this year's parade grand marshal. One LGBT group was allowed to march, out at NBC Universal, an LGBT employee group at the Giant Media Conglomerate. NBC Universal was a sponsor of and also televised the event this year. Parade organizers previously announced that other gay groups could apply to March next year. But Irish Queers, a group that's been pushing for full LGBT participation for two decades, is dubious at best. A spokesperson said that allowing an employee group of a corporate sponsor was an effort to divert attention from the issue and is not inclusiveness.
5: Two LGBT groups marched for the first time in Boston's St. Patrick's Day Parade. That city's private parade sponsor, the South Boston Allied War Veterans Council, invited the LGBT military veterans group OutVets and the organizers of Boston Pride to march under their respective banners this week. In 1995, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the exclusion of self-identified LGBT groups by the same parade sponsors under First Amendment free speech rights but the council changed leadership late last year and narrowly voted to invite out vets. Council leader Brian Mahoney explained that we honor immigrants and veterans, and they served. Boston Pride said it also received an acceptance letter this week to march in the parade. The city's mayors had boycotted the event since that Supreme Court ruling. This year, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, and other political leaders took part. Walsh told reporters before stepping off that it's kind of moving on to a new chapter of Boston's history. LGBT groups have marched under their own banners in most St. Patrick's Day parades in Ireland for about a decade, including the country's largest celebrations in Dublin. That's News Wrap for the week ending March 21, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles.
4: Follow the news in your area and around the world An informed community is a
5: strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you.
4: Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Chris-Ann Eastwood. And I'm Christopher Gall.
2: You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more News Wrap, on free podcasts at Stitcher Radio On Demand, iTunes, or at thiswayout.org.
4: I just got back in from the This Way Out studio, and... uh, What a run. (laughs) Uh, uh. Also on the program this week, phobic bills proliferate in at least 26 U.S. states, and pro-family queers congregate in Los Angeles. And I was there. Yeah, what you been doing lately? Well, Human Rights Campaign, HRC, had a big Los Angeles Awards gala, and I was on the red carpet talking to a lot of pro-family and family folks from our family. Let's take a listen. (laughs) I'm Chris Andy, so here we are at the red carpet for the Human Rights Campaign L.A. Awards Dinner. Folks are starting to come down. Tonight's red carpet is actually blue. The press line tonight is incredibly, incredibly tight, but I have staked my claim in the corner, and I'm ready to rock this mic. Hopefully I'll get a chance to speak with Peter Page, actor and creator of ABC Family's The Fosters. Peter Page, quick question. Sure. The Fosters. Yes. Are there plans for a spinoff with any of the kids?
5: There are no plans for a spinoff at this time. There are certainly always possibilities, but there are no plans as of right now.
4: When are we going to see you in front of the camera again?
5: Mm, uh, no time soon. I'm very busy. I have a lot of jobs. <laughs>
4: but Clint Eastwood does it.
5: <laughs> Not very much he doesn't. <laughs>
4: well, he is over 80 at this point. You're young. Get out there.
5: Yeah, I don't know about that, but um, uh, I'd, I'd love to. I'd, I'd like to get back in front of the camera at some point soon, but I, but I can't tell you when that's going to be.
4: You know, the Foster's is kind of lesbian centric. Is there anything in the work for a kind of a gay male couple centric show?
5: Not from Brad and I, not right now. We'll see. I mean, you know, we always, we always have sort of gay rights and women's rights kind of floating around in our work. There's always some sort of agenda. So.
4: Well, I have to say, so far, you're the best woman I've interviewed tonight. As a feminist, I heard you're a, you're a feminist too, and I'm so glad that you are.
5: Thank you so
6: much.
4: Chad Griffin, quick question, KPFK. Hey, how are you? Uh, You are running the largest LGBT organization of the country. What are some of the challenges that differ from your very first organization?
1: Well, you know, look, AFER was an organization with one specific case to take down Proposition 8. And as you know, I'm very proud that Prop 8 is no longer the law of the land in California. But it's important to note and the work of this organization, we need a lot more than marriage equality. You know, we're on the cusp of what I believe will be a 50-state ruling before the Supreme Court uh, to bring marriage equality to every single corner of this country. But the day that we get that ruling in more than half the states in this country, simply for getting married and posting that picture on Facebook, you can be fired from your job and evicted from your home. We've got to change that, and those are the protections that we've got to fight for. We've got to look far beyond marriage and reset the goalpost for the movement. That's exactly what we're doing.
4: It's challenging to run a non-for-profit these days. How do you get over the hump of donor fatigue?
1: Well, you know what? We are a very lucky organization that this organization was built by the grassroots. We have more than 1.5 million members and supporters across this country as evidenced by those who come here tonight and are supporting this work. They are the reason that I'm able to go to Washington and do the work I do with the team and the staff that we have on a daily basis.
4: Thank you very much. Thank you. you. Take care. Leah Thompson, why wasn't Caroline in the city ever gay? Why wasn't she gay? I mean, when you're in the city, you live in New York, you know, everybody, a couple of beers, this and that, I, I mean. Know.
7: You know, that would have been an interesting storyline. Actually, we, we really petitioned for my love interest, Richard, to be gay. The entire world thought your love interest was gay. How did that get lost? The network wanted it for another show, which happened, like, the next year. Oh, what show was that? Will and Grave. Oh, that yes. show. I, I, I think they got the idea, actually. You know, it's okay to be gay twice in a row. Yeah, it's true, but they, they, I don't know. It was very upsetting to me, because I thought that would be a really interesting storyline. Well, we all thought he was, and we all know the actor was. Tell me, what's new with you? I'm still doing Switched at Birth, four and a half seasons we've done, and uh, that's been going really well, really well. I just directed a whole piece, actually, a really interesting storyline I just had, which was I thought my mom was gay. She came to visit with her girlfriend, and it turns out she was gay but she also has Alzheimer's so it was a very beautiful story that I got to direct and start. I'm crying now that was like the saddest thing. It was really beautiful I mean and funny because I kept thinking mom tell me you're coming out like you know and um, Meredith Baxter played my mother and she's of course came out of the closet so it was a really I think a personal storyline for her but it was really lovely. When are
4: we we going to see that? It already aired, unfortunately. well, and I'll just Netflix or Hulu or whatever you can do. You're here tonight the Human Rights Campaign. What does this work mean to you?
7: I've been supporting this group for a long time, and um, I'm really proud to be a supporter. I think they've done an amazing work. I mean, I really think that they've been really influential in getting these laws passed in all these states to support marriage equality, which I think is essential. It's ridiculous. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful meeting you. Thank you.
4: Mr. Ryan Carnes, Dr. Lucas Jones. I am a huge General Hospital fan.
0: Oh, thank. I'm good. Good. Thank you.
4: Let me tell you, your sex scenes with Brad are off the chain.
0: <laughs> that, you know what? I think somebody down the line used that exact same expression a few minutes ago.
4: Did they copycat?
0: <laughs> thank. Thank you. Thanks.
4: Now. I have to say, I mean, I came from the era when there was a television movie in the '70s called "That Certain Summer" with Martin Sheen and Hal Holbrook, and they played a homosexual couple, that's what they called them at the time. And you know, they never kissed, they never even touched each other once. Was there any trepidation in those first scenes when you guys were shirtless and in bed together? Well,
0: I mean, I think anytime there's a sex scene of any sort, whether it's with a man or a woman, there's some amount of trepidation. Because
4: I mean, from the network, when they knew they were going to put that on the air and let viewers see two gay men being intimate.
0: I don't know. If there was any trepidation, I'm not aware of it. I don't have any knowledge of it. And, and I suspect that there probably wasn't because, you know, in 2014, when, when our characters first got together on the show, that's a decade after the last time I did a homosexual character. So I feel like at this moment... Just in the zeitgeist in general, there's much more acceptance of LGBT characters and way less propensity for backlash. And soaps, I think a lot of people don't know this, but soaps were... I believe in terms of mainstream television, were the first to actually have yes, they were. LGBT characters.
4: They were, they were. But they had women and they were okay with, I mean, when the first woman kissed, which was all my children in the late 70s, that was still very short and they kind of, I mean, we kept track of all of these things to see when we finally see our characters who were like us acting like everybody else did. So my question again is, when they gave you the script, nobody sat down with you from the network and said, you know, we're gonna have you guys with your shirts off and stuff.
0: No, not at all.
4: See, isn't that awesome?
0: It's literally like I'll tell you I'll tell you how it happened. It was literally like I think we got the script right before Christmas break maybe. And nobody even told me. I got the script and I'm flipping through it. And then there's Lucas and Brad. And it was like you know we they told us a week ahead of time and there was there was no discussion. We showed up on set, took our shirts off, and did it.
4: And see, that's what we dream of. It's no big deal. It's just another scene. I gotta ask you, Ryan. What do you say to the kids out there who are not sure what to do? They think they're gay. They think they might be gay. They don't know how to talk about or to tell someone. What's your advice you can give them out there?
0: You know, it's tough because, unfortunately, still there are a lot of places and a lot of social circles where. There aren't really nurturing, safe environments for kids to just feel free to express who they are. Uh, as a kid, I'm mean, you know, I wasn't growing up LGBT, but I felt different probably because I, I was an artist or whatever. You know, the thing, the extracurricular activities that I did, and and I was always a sensitive kid, and I had great parents. It took me a long time to realize, hey, I'm, I'm all right, I'm cool, you know? So I guess what I would say to, to kids is do your best to seek out friends, not because you think they're cool or popular or they're powerful or they can do something for you but seek out friends who you feel genuine acceptance from and seek out people who are going to give you the freedom to fully express who you are no matter what that is no matter if it has to do with the types of activities you like to do or it has to do with your sexual orientation or preferences or any of that I mean I think that's really important for humans in general find your tribe
4: that's awesome Ryan Carnes thank you so much great to meet you thank you
6: Hi, I'm Frank Valentini, executive producer of General Hospital.
4: I am a huge fan of General Hospital. Frank Valentini, is this your idea to have Lucas and Brad and your gay storyline? I have to ask, I just talked to Ryan Carnes, who plays Dr. Lucas Jones. Is this something you had to pitch to the network to get their approval on, or did you just write it and just let it go?
5: We
6: pitched everything, but it started off really small, and it gained momentum, and the audience really got excited about it, and we just kept going with it. And the network's behind us 100%. So it's really fun to have people who you work for support your ideas and trying to do something a little bit different. And um, it's the fans are digging it.
4: As a fan, I'm totally digging it. Of course, I'm thinking, where are the lesbians at?
6: Well, you never know who's going to come out to be a lesbian.
4: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you give us a teaser? I mean, who's coming out?
6: I can't say. My head writer will have my head.
4: I love the fact that you have these great gay storylines and so forth. And One Life to Live did it with kids and all that kind of stuff. You were on One Life to Live as well?
6: Yes, that was me too.
4: Are you the go to gay storyline guy?
6: No, not really, because Days has a gay storyline too. My head writer is the gay go to storyline writer.
4: I don't watch Days of Our Lives. I'm completely committed to General Hospital, as you should be. From the Human Rights Campaign LA Awards Gala for IMRU, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. Oh, my God. I just outed myself as a big general hospital. Uh, yeah, did, I've watched did. that show since it was black and white, and the only music, like the traveling music, was just a piano. But we accept you as you are. Thank you. That's right. That's Thank a place you. for everyone. I'm very struck by
2: the fact that just 10 years ago, we were kind of begging for celebrities to represent us and to show up in these things, and now it just seems like... You kind of threw a rock. You hit a celebrity. You pretty this kind of
4: much, thing. and they're very, very proud of their involvement. General Hospital was getting yeah. a war because of the gay storyline. They line. get it, and uh, you know the big Mariah Carey sang at this thing, and and it was just it was a big it was a big hoopla, and they get a lot of money. And if you have the little sticker, the blue sticker with the little red equal sign or gold equal sign, it's all HRC. But uh, they're they're doing good, and uh-huh. so it was a, a lot of fun. Although, boy, the the line was rough this time. Boy, it gets everybody wants to go. You couldn't you couldn't get a gay – media at gay events like fifteen years ago and now everybody's there and I've got cameras in my back and it's just you're nuts. right
2: at the in the eye of that hurricane. That's great. Yep. Um but coming up next, everyone
4: has a story
2: and Steve Pride says he just scratched the surface of this lady's very colorful life story.
8: Patty Spangler is over sixty, a cancer survivor, a navy vet a transgendered woman who was born intersex and lived as a man for nearly 30 years. She was also a big rig driver, known on the interstates as Trucker Patty. She has now traded her tractor trailer for a house trailer in Rolla, Missouri, and is quite simply one of the most interesting people I know.
9: Hello, everybody. My name is Patty Spangler. I am known by friends and other people as Trucker Patty. When I was three years old, I asked my mother why I did not have the same equipment that my best friend Susie had, why was I different, because I was supposed to be a girl. I knew from my very earliest memories that there was something different about me, and I learned very quickly that it was not acceptable. I was teased the whole time I was growing up because I was very effeminate. I was a sissy. When I got into high school, I always made sure I had a girlfriend because that way then they couldn't tease me because, you know, it was very hard for me to try to act like a male. I like to tell people that I was born with a terrible growth in my vagina. Just like every other woman on the planet, I have two X chromosomes. But unlike a lot of other women on the planet, I also have a Y chromosome. And that gave me a penis that has never, ever belonged there. It took me many years to understand what my problem was. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to fix it by a fairly young age. I had my sex reassignment surgery when I was 28.
8: Tell me about that.
9: I had been to Stanford University Medical Center's Gender Dysphoria Clinic, and I believe it was 1980. And they had referred me to an endocrinologist for my hormones. And she had had some knowledge of Klinefelter's syndrome, which is what the XXY is called. And I had never heard of it before. I just always knew I was supposed to be a girl. Kleinfelter's, some of the characteristics of it are very little facial or body hair, usually fairly tall, no Adam's apple, very feminine in appearance, and frequently natural breasts, and that was me to a T. So after examining me to prescribe hormones for me, she asked if I would mind if she did a chromosome structure. Well, I didn't know what the heck a chromosome structure was. And I said, well, yeah, if you think I need it, go for it. That was when I found out what Kleinfelter's was and that it was something that I did indeed have. And it was the key factor in why my medical insurance company paid
8: for my surgery. What about your childhood?
9: I hated the fact that I was different. I mean, I tried everything that you could think of to butch it up, to be acceptable playing sports. Sports was big with my father because he'd been a professional baseball player. I tried everything. I always knew I was different. I really understood the attraction to men more when I was 14 and a couple of my Older brothers' friends started basically sexually abusing me. I didn't realize it was abuse at the time. You know, I thought because I was attracted to boys, I didn't realize that, you know, it could be very damaging for a 14 year old to be messing around with 16 year old boys, especially when they were doing things to me that I didn't want them to do. There was never any question in my own mind that I was a woman. But I didn't want to be different. I kept thinking, well, as long as I have a girlfriend, I'm fine. Nobody can call me a queer. And I wound up marrying my girlfriend because I figured that's what I need to do. If I get married, all this other stuff is going to go away and I am going to be a normal person. And that's all I wanted. And that was the catalyst between getting married and then I was in the Navy at the time. I was a musician in the Navy And I was transferred to New Orleans, Louisiana, to be a part of the Navy Steel drum band. While I was there and fascinated with the French Quarter, I went into my first gay bar. I knew then that I couldn't live the way I was living anymore. I told my wife that I was gay and that we had to split up. And I started exploring the gay scene in New Orleans. I met a bartender at the Bourbon Pub, which is still there on Bourbon Street, still very busy gay bar today, and he put me in drag for Halloween. And there were so many people that thought he had brought a fag-hag friend with him on the round of the bars because I appeared like a biological woman that... I was encouraged by him and a couple of other drag queen friends of his to start doing drag. I had always been interested in theater and performing, and so that was sort of a natural fit for me. But it was while doing drag that I met the first trans women, and this would have been probably 1977. Finally, there was somebody who was like me, because I knew I wasn't a straight man. I knew that I didn't fit in with the gay man. I didn't know where I belonged until I met the first trans woman. From there, it was just, how do I go about doing this? I worked at a transgender bar called The Midship in the French Quarter from 1978 to 1980, trying to do this. And then finally, in July of 1982, at St. Luke's Hospital in San Francisco, my body finally matched the rest of me. How would you become a trucker? I had read an article about husband and wife truck drivers. My husband was a submarine sailor in the Navy, and he had originally was going to make a career out of it. But he started having second thoughts about that. And I told him about this article that I read. And we thought it would be fun to do together. Then he didn't want to be married anymore. And then he told me that I couldn't go do it by myself. That was the wrong thing to tell me. Because if you tell me I can't do something, I want to prove you wrong. But I think a lot of it for me was I was tired about worrying about people that I met that might possibly figure out what I was. And this seemed like a good way to not be around so many people. And I'd always loved to drive and I'd always loved to travel. So in a way, it was kind of an escape for me. I'd, you know, during my transition period, I had a bit of trauma that I never addressed. I was beaten and raped by a guy that turned out to be a serial killer in new orleans in 79 or 80 there was um a girl named angel that he killed and a second girl whose name was bobby Mattia, who barely escaped with her life she had to jump out a second floor window and broke her leg to get away from the guy. His name was rusty you know in those days she met somebody cute in the bar and you took him home and and had fun and He knocked me out with the champagne bottle, and then he raped me with it. When I woke up in the hospital, they had not yet figured out that I was transgendered, and they were really, really nice to me. Then, for some reason, my panty girdle was removed, and my little secret popped out there. It was like turning on a lamp. They went from compassionate and caring to, oh, She
8: got what she deserved. Patty, for most of your life, you've been what they call stealth, not out as transgendered. Why?
9: The reason for that is when it comes to sex, I'm more of a traditional person. The idea of me being with a man that was turned on by the fact that I was trans was not something that was ever attractive to me. I wanted a regular guide. And I'm telling you right now, a regular guy back 20, 30 years ago was going to want anything to do with a woman that had been born with a penis. So that's why the deep stealth mode happens. And it's very dangerous. It's why you hear of trans women being murdered or beat up because they try to fly under the radar and many do for years. I mean... I think how fortunate I was all those years that nobody ever discovered. But living with a secret like that takes a toll on a person. You know, I don't recommend it for anybody. That's why I'm working so hard now to bring trans awareness and understanding. Because until that happens, people like me can't have the simplest thing in the world, just a normal life to be a person that feels like they deserve love. I've never ever felt like someone who deserved love because I was different. I had a secret and I had to do everything for every man that I ever was with because I was lucky enough to have a man that wanted me. I realize now how horrible it was to be that way for me, it was just the way that it was us older generation trans women, we had to either fly in stealth mode like I've been doing, or live in extremely insular communities in order to survive. And now that it is becoming better for all LGBTQ people, trans people. Like gays and lesbians are coming out much earlier. They still have a harder road to hoe. The highest rate of suicide amongst youth is transgendered youth. The highest percentage rate of homelessness amongst youth are transgendered youth. The highest rate of sex workers amongst youth are transgendered youth. But still, they're starting to get a little bit more of a voice.
8: You've overcome so many obstacles. I think you're very brave.
9: I don't feel brave. I actually feel embarrassed a lot of the time because it took me 25 years to finally make a stand and say hey this is not right so that's what I'm trying to do in the nicest most positive most progressive way possible is to say hey guys we're here and we're queer and we need your help
8: this has been a conversation with Patty Spangler aka Trucker Patty you can follow her adventures on Facebook or on her blog at Trucker Patty that's patty with an com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening.
2: That was one of those stories that makes me very proud to be on IMRU. Steve is so great at grabbing these individual stories of these heroes in our community. Um, And there are a number of things that... He didn't actually get to talk about. Um, she had a 200 pound weight loss. She had a battle with cancer um, and she even
3: appeared on Glee in a transgender choir. Oh, wow. <laughs> actually, we have someone else here who has uh, appeared on Glee and we'll tell you a little more about that when Abby Posner will be performing here live in studio. We'll be right back.
10: Behind the Mask, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The year was 1972, and never had an American psychiatrist risk speaking publicly about his homosexuality. At the time, homosexuality was even on the American Psychiatric Association's official list of mental disorders. But later that year came the APA convention in Dallas. Dr. John Fryer felt compelled to appear at a panel discussion titled, Psychiatry, Friend or Foe to Homosexuals? A Dialogue. He slipped through a side curtain wearing a baggy suit, rubbery mask, and huge wig and spoke into a microphone that disguised his voice. He was introduced as Dr. H. Anonymous. His first words were, I am a homosexual. I am a psychiatrist. The audience was stunned into silence. Fryer's bold testimony made a difference. In December of 1973, the APA's board removed homosexuality from its list of mental disorders and urged equal protections guaranteed all citizens. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Chuck Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Tom Miller.
9: Hello, I'm Trucker Patty, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, now in its fortieth year on KPFKFM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara. Ridgecrest, China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org.
11: Time is haunting me down without an alibi But where she goes It's not my place And I'm still blessed to be here just to see her face Ooh, take me back
3: Welcome back. You are listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Chris Wilson. I'm Chris Ann Eastwood.
2: And I'm Abby Dees.
3: And that song coming out of the break was Another Year from Abby Posner's CD, Ghosts and Frames. And I have here in studio with me... Abby Posner, welcome to IMRU.
12: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
3: Oh, thank you so much for coming in. Um, that was a really great song, and it's such a lovely, upbeat style. The CD is called Ghosts and Frames. And I've noticed in all the tracks there's this this Americana inf- influence that I feel, and yet it's something new and and fresh. Where does that come from?
12: Absolutely. Well, I grew up around... You know, authentic folk music. My parents would play music all the time around the house. I'm from Colorado originally, and uh, I listened to a lot of Bob Dylan. I listened to a lot of Joni Mitchell, and so I feel like that was kind of in my blood, you know. Um, The freshness of it actually may have something to do with more of a contemporary rock influence. Um, I used to listen to a lot of punk rock when I was growing up, and I think that the marriage between the two kind of is uh, threaded throughout my music.
3: And you're a songwriter as well. Yes. This is all you. This everything is all original hear. material. Wow, yeah. everything we hear on Ghosts and Frames. Yes. Now, the CD is with your band, uh, which is called Abbey and the Myth. That is correct. Where does that name come from? Well, um,
12: you know, I've always been really interested and inspired by mythology. And uh, I, when I was in high school, I took a class called The Power of Myth, and it was... Uh, written by Joseph Campbell. And uh, I was really influenced by that book. And so a lot of the songs that you hear, there is like a tinge of some mythology in there and uh, some psychology as well.
3: So you started out in Colorado. Yeah. And then you came to Los Angeles. I did. What brought you here?
12: I studied music at CalArts from 2001 to 2006 and uh, studied multi-instrumentation, composition, world music, and I stayed out here ever since and have been collaborating with different talented musicians like the one next to me. And who might that be? I have the lovely Carabatema sitting next to me with a funky accordion. It, <laughs>
3: is, and it is really a beautiful accordion. It I'm is. I'm envious Um It's fabulous, but we're going to get to hear it in just a few minutes. Yes. And she is part of the myth.
12: She is part of the myth. We have a full (laughs) band. Uh, She is. It's not not a myth. She's right next to me. We usually have a full ensemble with uh, upright bass, drums. Our drummer's on tour right now. Uh, Our bassist, I don't think, can fit in here. Um,
3: (laughs) Don't don't tell them. Don't tell them. It's like a stadium in here. It's huge, huge.
12: But yeah, so there there are four of us. Wow. Yeah.
3: Well, um, can we hear something? Live? Absolutely. I see that accordion all fired up and ready to go, as yeah. well as a guitar. What are you going to play for us?
12: I'm going to play a song from our upcoming album. It's going to be released April 4th at the Hotel Cafe, um, and this song from the record is called "In Your Hands."
11: Who's to say, who's to say that I've lost my mind when the fire, when the fire, when it burns inside and you can't break through and you can't and you won't and you change when you want to. Will the day well it comes and goes and she waits and she waits in the porch in the snow Oh, and you let her in cause you do what you can and you see when you want to and who will you lean on through the storm wait serpents and the demons in your path. Why does she come here all the time? Signed all the papers and the walls are made of sand. There's no, there's no
2: looking back.
11: hands, you can feel my doubt, die- and i fall apart,
12: and you see what I want, and I'll leave when I have to.
3: Oh, that was lovely. Wow. I can't believe. Wow, excellent. That was was just absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. That was such a pleasure for Uh, us to have you live performing. So fun for us to be here. We're all having a good time Uh, here at KPFK. So I did say before we had you come on and play that you've also been on Glee. Can you tell us about that?
12: That was one of the funnest experiences. Uh, I was it was a very small, uh, brief little moment, but I was fortunate enough to be in the band on Glee and I played uh, guitar for Torn for one of the songs that Leah Michelle was singing, and then I played banjo for Baby Got Back. Actually,
4: <laughs> <laughs> whoa, wait a yeah, minute! Yeah,
12: it was it was kind of like a funky indie folk spin on Baby Got Back. And uh, did you
4: bring your banjo? Because
3: I'd love know, to I, hear you. I, I should have brought.
12: I should have brought my banjo. Actually, well, the I, thing I,
3: is, I we <laughs> would have had if, if she brought every instrument she plays, <laughs> it would have taken up the entire show <laughs> because there's banjo, there's guitar, and you yourself play what else? Uh, I. Play drums, piano,
12: banjo, mandolin, guitar, a lot of world instruments, various percussion, didgeridoo. Um
3: did you we do? Know. And yeah. we only have an hour, so we <laughs> couldn't have done all of
12: that. <laughs> I'm just obsessed, you know. I love it so much since I was a kid.
3: Do, is there as much camaraderie among the cast of Glee as we see when we watch the show?
12: You know, that's a good question. Um, the the crew was just so so kind, and everyone seemed to be so on board and so excited. Uh, so I got I got really close with some of the crew members. Um, but yeah, it's a great. It's a very supportive
4: show. How many shows did you do?
12: I, d- I did two episodes. So That's awesome! Yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun.
3: And not just Glee, but you've also written as well for television. And yeah, and tell us about some of the placements you've had.
12: Um, I've I've recently been placed on this American Life radio. Some of the the compositions I've written, and uh, I'm r- doing a lot of licensing music right now. I was just uh, one of my songs just got in a feature film called Old Fashioned, and um, a few commercials along the way as well. Wow! Yeah.
3: So, did you ever think about doing anything other than music?
12: You know, when I was younger, I uh, I really threw myself immediately into the arts. Uh, being you know uh, feeling different and somewhat marginalized as a as a you know younger gay woman and a younger gay girl, really in in a small town in Colorado, I really threw myself into music and into theater, as I think it was really just a, a form of coping and a form of feeling safe. And, um, yeah, it was a really healing process for me. That's, that's what music has always been really healing, you know? Um, so I, I've been writing and playing since I was about probably, I mean, I can think of when I was even six, just coming up to the piano and, and writing musicals.
4: <laughs> but you have to be from Colorado. You have to do a John Denver song. Is that Oh, I mean, God! Isn't that kind of like the Rock rule? Mountain. Isn't that the law? Oh, no, I mean,
12: no. come on. Yeah. Oh, I promise next time I'm on, I'll prepare some <laughs> Thank Rocky, you. Rocky Thank Mountain but oh,
3: yeah, yeah, you could do something with it. But, but your stuff, your original stuff is so fabulous. Thank and you. we got to hear you here in the studio. But I understand that pretty soon. And one of the reasons we wanted you on tonight is that our audience can come see you. Where's that going to be?
12: Yes. Uh, As I mentioned before, we're so, so excited about our CD release party. It's going to be April 4th at 830 uh, Hotel Cafe. And um, you can get tickets online at my website at www.abbyandthemyth.com. Um, you can also go to Hotel Cafe's website as well and purchase tickets. If you buy tickets online, you'll get a free CD at the
3: oh, door. Oh, nice! Yeah, so
12: that's that's kind of what we're offering as a little a little treat.
3: That that's a great idea. And yeah. isn't there also AbbyPosner.com? Does that yeah, take you the to same, the same place? Same
12: place, exactly. Okay, so, so you can do
3: or. either AbbyInTheMyth.com or AbbyPosner.com. Yeah. And I know you recently had participated in a jam over at the coffee gallery. Any chance we'll, we'll see you back there? Because that's such a nice venue for, it for is. singer-songwriters. It's
12: so fun there. I mean, there are, there are a lot of venues in L.A. that are really special spots. The Wits End, I did a, a songwriters in the round there recently. A coffee gallery, like you mentioned. And, yeah, I, I perform there probably every couple months through a, a showcase that is held there. Yeah.
3: Is there any chance of the myth going to be there with you one of yeah, these days? oh,
12: definitely. Uh, we've actually, we just performed there as a, a trio. Uh, lot, was it last week? Last week. Lots of gigs, so we lose track. <laughs>
3: hey, lots lose track. of gigs. Oh, my. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we, we work. How difficult. Time.
12: Life is tough. We work. We work hard. Uh, we love to play. We love to perform. It's one of our favorite things to do.
3: And the influences that you have, the Americana and everything, and yet coming from punk, are you looking at branching out in something a little different next time? I mean, you're so versatile. Funny I should ask, and I (laughs) didn't read any of that in your press stuff, so I'm just wondering with all of the influences and background you have and all you've studied, what are you thinking about doing next?
12: Well, I've always been kind of a creature of experimentation, and um, it's important for me to feel fulfilled as a musician uh, to write a number of different genres. I've, I've always loved jazz. I've always been inspired by, you know, the flavors of funk and soul and R&B. And so I, I do try to add a little bit of my solo stuff that I've uh, recorded in the past. There's a lot of different things going on. The next album I'm, I'm working on is going to be a little bit more electric and a little bit more uh, experimental, I think. Yes, because of yeah.
3: course you play electric guitar as well as acoustic. I do, along yeah. with the other long list of yeah. things that you play.
12: Yeah, I love I love playing electric guitar. Actually, that's that's my bread and butter, and I should play more of it. I think. Yeah.
3: Who are some of the musicians you look up to?
12: Oh gosh, that is a really really good question. Um, in the bluegrass world, I'm a huge Earl Scruggs fan, Ricky Staggs, and uh, Bill Monroe. Those are some of the old cats that yeah, I listen to. way back. Oh, yeah, but they're still current for Gotta me. Gotta go to the
4: cabin, Bill was Absolutely,
12: cabin. absolutely. And then I, I listen to a lot of indie artists that are kind of under the cuff, I would say, that aren't extremely known. I've been a fan of artists like Bright Eyes, and they write a little bit more kind of eclectic rock music, and I'm definitely a
3: fan of Seawolf and artists that are kind of just breaking you know, I, that's one of the things. Before I started producing audiophile and bringing out our song to IMRU, mm-hmm. I had no idea the talent that was out there that you didn't hear on Top Forty Radio. Exactly. And I have. I love to put a bunch of discs in my player at home, and people say, "Who's that?" You but, know? Yeah. Because there, there is so much incredible talent out there. There are. And you are a fabulous example of it thank you so much and and I wish we could spend more time but unfortunately our show is going to be coming to an end soon but if somebody wants to find out more let's tell them that website again so you can go to
12: abbyposner.com or abbyandthemyth.com and right on the homepage there is a place to purchase tickets for our CD release party at Hotel Cafe
3: which is when?
12: April 4th at 8.30 I would get there at 8 if you do buy tickets (laughs) it's going to be it's going to be pretty full yeah oh
3: that's wonderful wonderful very glad to hear that.
12: I just want to thank Kara Vadama for being here with me today Aww. and singing with me. She's a dear friend and um, bandmate, but also just a dear friend in person. So thank you, Kara. Yes, love and you.
3: and love you. Yes, it, and we didn't we didn't get much from Kara in terms of an interview, but watching her and watching the two of you harmonize together, and the accordion and the guitar—it's a wonderful blend. And and. We can, we can tell that it's a great friendship and a great musical relationship. However, the time I has come. I hate to say it, but we mm.
2: got to wrap this baby up. That is the end of our show. We know you have many other choices
3: on your radio dial, so we're thrilled that tonight you have journeyed with us. I am RU Radio Magazine. Our thanks to our producer and tonight's director, Steve Pride, Assistant Director and Social Media Maven, Matthew McLaughlin, and our Rainbow Minute producers Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. And our board op Jose Benavides. And if you have comments or
4: story suggestions, tweet us or follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio or contact us
3: directly via email at IMRU Radio at IMRU Radio O R dot O R G. IMRU is simulcast and available on demand at kpfk.org. It's also posted to the IMRU radio Facebook page by noon every Tuesday. Be sure to
4: like us on our Facebook page that apparently is very important. Coming up next,
3: flip the script with Riku Matsura and we close with another track from Abby Posner's Ghosts and Frames. Good night everybody. Good night. Mm-hmm.
11: still don't know the truth, I will dig up this land. And the love inside your eyes, well it tosses me around. And I cannot stand without you on solid ground.